Galatians chapter 5, church. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. I'm going to read for us there Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. It says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for this morning. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for this time that you've given us to be in your word. Father, I pray that you would just speak to us in a mighty way. God, speak through me this morning. God, let us hear and see your words. Father God, we just, we just rest in your promises for truth. God, we rest in your promises for hope. God, we rest in your promises for righteousness. Father, I just pray. Father, that whatever burdens, whatever doubts, whatever struggles we come in with this morning, Father God, I pray that as we lay them at your feet, Lord, we would allow you to speak to us in a mighty way. Father, speak freedom into our lives today. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, this morning we pick up in Galatians chapter 5, and we continue our study that we've called Grace to You, where we see Paul's letter to these, the churches in this region of Galatia, where he's writing to them because people have come into this group of people, into this region, and they, he, they've began to preach a different type of gospel. And this different gospel that they've started to teach is a gospel that is robbing them of the freedom that they have in Christ, robbing them of the true understanding of grace. And so that's why we call this study grace to you, because really the continuous thread through all of the book of Galatians is this idea of grace and the doctrine and the 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 ministry of grace that the gospel of Jesus brings. And so what Paul is communicating, like we've said every week, is he's telling believers in defense of the true, uh, uh, the true freedom that Christians have in Christ. And so that's what is being taken from them. That is what is being robbed from them. And so all of Galatians is about this idea. And so we've taken the past 17 weeks. I know it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Maybe it seems like it's been longer to some of you. But 17 weeks, and we're not done yet, 17 weeks in the book of Galatians to lay the groundwork of what grace is and and how grace functions uh, in, uh, in respects to the law and what Christ has done in his new covenant. And so what we see this morning is we're going to start to see a shift for Paul where he goes from just speaking on the, the evidence of grace and what grace means and where that fits into the landscape of God's plan for us. And then now we're going to see the shift of what we do in light of that. 
how do we live? How do we function? You know, kind of the idea of the expectations and instructions that we have. And a lot of times we push back against uh, expectations. We push back against instruction when it comes to our, our spiritual life because we don't want someone telling us what to do. And we don't want to feel like there's these, this, this strong hand of the law over us. But the reality of it is, church, if we're honest with ourselves, we accept instruction and expectation in every other aspect of our life. But for some reason, when it comes to the spiritual nature of ourselves, we tend to push back on that. But I don't know about you, but in my job, if I didn't have instruction and expectations, I probably wouldn't do it as well as I should, right? The same thing for you. Like if we didn't have expectations on what we should accomplish and how we should act and live in the scope of our professional careers, then if we're honest with ourselves, we would probably take the easy ways out. We would probably not strive to do it to the best of our abilities because we know we have that wiggle room. And so Paul tells us, he's laid the groundwork for what grace is, that it's separate from works, it's separate from the works of the law, but even in the midst of that, how we as believers should be stepping in line with what God has called us and invited us to partake in. You know, because what Paul is wanting us to see is that freedom is for something. That this freedom that he's given us in Jesus is for something. Because everything about the Christian gospel is freedom. Like That's what it's about. But it's not this freedom to remove ourselves, but it's this freedom to insert ourselves into the world around us and into the work that God has for us. You know, and so when we talk about freedom, I think we need to be clear what type of freedom we're talking about. You know, when we talk about freedom in Christ, we're not talking about political or economic freedom because those freedoms can be taken from us in this world. Political freedom, economic freedom, those things can and may be taken from us as we navigate the spaces of our future. We never know what this may be. I mean, when we're reading this and this time, they did not have economic or political freedom. They were actually persecuted under economical and political spaces. And so for us, we live in a day and age, thankfully, that we do have some freedom in those spaces, but that's not what's guaranteed. But what Paul is telling us when he's talking about freedom, he is talking about guaranteed freedoms that we have in Christ. And the two, those two freedoms are this, what we're talking about, because Jesus his mission was an operation of liberation. He was relieving, rescuing us from something. And there are two things that we can know that Jesus has given us freedom in as Christians. And this is, this is the most vital thing in our Christian walk that Paul wants us to grab and what he was communicating to the people of Galatia here. The first thing that we have freedom from is we are free from the law's aggressive system. We're free from the law's aggressive system where uh, all of the laws and what it meant, and if they didn't keep it perfectly, then they failed in all of them, and they were subject to punishment. They were subject to death because of falling short of the law. You know, so we are free from the law's oppressive and aggressive system. And when we talk about the law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments, we're talking about the law of Moses and all the, the, the ways, things they couldn't eat and the ceremonies and all these things, all the religious kind of acts, those things don't apply in the sense of that we need to accomplish those things to be saved. Now, it doesn't mean that, and we'll talk about this more next week, but it doesn't mean that we have the freedom to just do whatever we want because 1 Corinthians 10.23 would say everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And so we'll talk about that more next week of why, you know, the argument is, well, if grace is grace, then why don't I just continue to sin and just do whatever I want, win it however I want? There's a reason, and we'll talk about that next week. But 
He wants us to see first that we are free from the law's oppressive and aggressive system. The second thing he wants us to see is that we are free to belong to Christ and that we are not our own. And this is something we don't like to accept, especially in a world that would tell us that, that we're the center of the universe. A humanistic kind of mindset that elevates us and elevates my needs, elevates my wants, elevates my opinions. But in Christ, the freedom that we have is that we are not our own. That we are rescued not only from the effects of the law, but we're rescued from ourselves. We're rescued from the bad mistakes that we make. We're rescued from the, the, our own weaknesses. We're rescued from our own bad decisions. And, and that's a beautiful thing. You know, we're rescued because we are not our own. We are in Christ. And the Bible would use the term slave several times to describe who we are to Christ. But slave is such a bad word, especially because of how we use that word. It's very limited in the English language. A better translation is bondservant. Because what we are saying is that what Christ has done for us, we are now his bondservant. We are now giving ourselves over to Christ, giving ourselves over to his instruction, giving ourselves over to him as our master. And in that, there is freedom. There is a freedom that we'll never find being our own. There's a freedom we'll never find living under the law. There's a freedom we'll never find grasping for what the world gives us for satisfaction and for, for goodness. John 8.32, it says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The biblical narrative is one of experiential freedom, and Paul wants them to know this. That God's work of redemption for man is leading us to freedom. Romans 7, 6, it says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So if I had to subtitle this morning, it would be this, Finding Freedom. Because for a lot of us, if we call ourselves Christian this morning, we have been offered freedom, but we may not all be living in freedom. Even though freedom is available to us, we may not be truly living in freedom. And so there's two things this morning that I want us, want us to see that I believe Paul is telling us and that he is communicating to us as we find freedom in our Christian lives and begin to live out from under the weight of the law, and then out from under the weight of being our own. You know, the first week of our kids, they learned that what is our only hope in life and death, our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own but belong to God. That is a beautiful truth, and we have to constantly be reminded about that. So two things this morning. The first thing being this is that freedom is meant to be fought for. That in our spiritual lives, in our Christian lives, that our freedom in Christ is meant to be fought for. And we see that Galatians 5.1, he says this. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And that is something that we have to remember and know. That our freedom has been been obtained for us, not through my abilities, not through my uh, greatest attempts at keeping the law or, or being a great person or a good person, that if I am free, I am free because Christ has set me free. Listen, and if the work, if, if the work has been done by Christ, no man can stop it. No man or woman can take it away. No situation in life can strip it from us. That if we are free in Christ, then we are free and this, and he tells us that this freedom is for a purpose. You know, that's, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So he set us free for something, and it's for freedom, and that freedom is an action. That freedom is something that's lived out, and we'll see that as we move further down. But it is something that's been giving to us. 
as Christians, do we think about this enough? Do we contemplate this idea that Christ has given us freedom? You know, I would, I would bet that if any of us could take even a moment, if we're honest with ourselves, we could not find enough reasons for Christ to have given us freedom. But he has given us that freedom, and it's guaranteed. John chapter 8, verse 36, it says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's no question. If Christ has set us free, then freedom is available to us. If we have put our faith in Jesus, then that freedom is ours. And then he moves on. And then this is where we see that that freedom needs to be fought for in our Christian life and in our spiritual journey. Galatians 5.1, he says this, Stand firm, therefore. And remember, anytime you read therefore in the Bible, you need to look back at what it's there for. And so he's saying, stand firm, therefore. He's responding to what he had said earlier, for freedom Christ has set us free. So because Christ has set us free, stand firm. Stand firm. Take action. Fight for it. Because the thing is, our Christian freedom, our Christian liberty, what we have in Christ does not come to us passively. That even though Christ has bought it for us, it's very likely that as Christians we could live every single day of our lives not living in that freedom, not walking in that freedom, not dealing with people in that freedom. And maybe you're experiencing that this morning. Maybe you come in this morning as a Christian and you just, you, you just don't have those times and those moments where you can just enjoy the freedom of knowing that you are Christ's that you are loved by God, that you have, have a, a, a reason that God has saved you, that you, have, that you have a hope in Jesus, that you have a joy in your life that carries you beyond every moment and every struggle and every circumstance. It's very likely that we can spend our days in bondage. And to overcome that, he says, stand firm. 1 Corinthians, Paul says again, 16, 13, he says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, be men or women of courage, be strong. The word stand firm means to persevere, to hold on to. It's typically in this context is used as a military term. Keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, and sticking together. Church, it takes effort to stay in a place of liberty. It takes effort. It has taken effort for us as a country to stay in a place of liberty. It takes effort in our Christian lives to stay in a place of liberty. Someone legally made free in Jesus can still live in bondage because despite the source of of our freedom being in Jesus, our freedom is fragile, and it can slip from our grasp. It can slip from our hands if we allow it to. Listen, we can actively, if we're not actively keeping up and keeping a hold of our freedom, it will slip away from us. And for them and for even us, I truly believe it is this idea that that the way we slip, the freedom that we have slips from our grasp is that we fall back into our old ways, old mindsets, old thought processes. Uh, Paul even said this to the Galatians in Galatians 4.3. He says that you were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world or the basic things or the basic satisfactions or the basic truths of this world. 
you know, and in the context of that church, for us, in grabbing a hold of our Christian freedom, where we miss out is Christ is either all the value or without value in our life. There is no in-between. There's no way at which we treat Jesus in our life or or the place God has in our life that is in the in-between. He's either all the value or of no value to us. And that's where, you know, where we approach apathetically or we approach, uh, you know, half-heartedly our relationship with God that our freedom begins to slip away. You know, and he says again in that encouragement, he continues to kind of, kind of press into this idea that's, that holding on to our freedom that we have to live out from under the law and the oppression of the law and then to live not as a victim or as a slave to myself and my sin is this in, in Galatians 5.1. He says, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, to a yoke of slavery. He says, do not submit. Stand firm. Do not submit. Church, Us living in the freedom that Christ has given to us is an active process, an active work. Stand firm. Do not submit. Do not give yourselves. This idea of do not submitting being not giving ourselves over to lesser things that will rob you, rob us of our freedom experience that we should have as Christians. To be submit again is to be burdened by or to be subject to or consumed by. And so for them specifically, he's speaking to religious persecution. He's speaking to religious, a religious yoke or the yoke of the law or the, them adding to salvation through saying that you have to do other things besides trusting and believing in Jesus for salvation. So him, he's communicating this idea that the yoke of religion is hard and the world system is hard. That when we give ourselves over to any other system but the grace of Jesus, that we have given ourselves to, sl- to be a slave to that thing, that we are burdened by it, that we will be consumed by it. You know, the, 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 the yoke is this thing, this apparatus that was used for ox and livestock to be able to accomplish a task. And so what he's saying is that under religion or under uh, the world system, that that yoke is hard and that it's unforgiving and that it's difficult and that there's no way out from under it on our own. Acts 15.10, Luke says, Now then, why do you test God by placing on the necks of disciples a yoke that is neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? So this is them talking about the, the, the religious leaders putting this yoke of religious obligation on the people, telling them that unless you do these things, unless you're circumcised, unless you follow these feasts, you cannot be saved. You don't, do not have a place at God's table. And so the apostles here are saying, why do you put these yokes on people that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Because it wasn't the point of the law. The point of the law and the religious do's and don'ts weren't meant to bring us to Jesus. They weren't meant to bring us to God. But then Jesus would say in Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven thirty. for my yoke is easy and my burden is like light. He's talking about a different yoke. It's still a yoke that is intended for work. It's still a yoke that is intended for doing. But he says the difference between the yoke of the world and religious yokes and the yoke of Jesus, he says, my yoke is easy. You know, in this, when it says easy, it means kind and gracious. The yoke of Jesus is kind and gracious. 
The yoke of, of legalistic religion is harsh and difficult. The yoke of the world system is performance-based and tells you if you don't do the job well or you don't do it well enough, then you're not good enough. And then Paul would write in Romans 8, 15, he says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery that returns you to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Ah, but there is freedom from fear in knowing that we belong to God, knowing that we are in Jesus, knowing that we are united with him, and it's that freedom that we fight for. It's that freedom that you come to church hopefully week after week to hear about. It's that freedom that in your personal time that you pray to a holy God and you say, God, remind me that in my wickedness that you are still good. Remind me that you've saved me. Remind me that you've rescued me, that it's the reason why when we get into this book and we preach the gospel to ourselves by reading verses about God's goodness for his people, about God's about God's relentless love about God's faithfulness it's because we need to know because God's given us a spirit that if we are cultivating and stirring and stoking the fire of the spirit within us that it will not lead us back to fear that it will not lead us back to a place of bondage it will not us lead to a place where we ever have to come to into, into a gathering of believers and be ashamed or feel guilty because of the, mis the mistakes that we carry in but as a Christian we should not have to ever bear shame or guilt now, God may use the mistakes we make and discipline us and redirect us, and that's why repentance is a lifestyle. It's not a moment. But never does a believer have to bear the weight of shame and guilt. The Bible tells us that he has nailed that to the cross, that the record of debt against us has been nailed to the cross and died with Jesus. But as Christians, we don't always live in that freedom. We don't always live out from under the freedom of shame and guilt. We don't always live on, out from under the freedom of the, uh, to be able to read God's word seeking him and his answers and to pray to him and to, to, to fellowship with other believers and to put ourselves out there uh, and evangelize or to share the gospel or to sing worship music. I mean, sometimes we can't even come to this place and sing because we don't have that freedom about us because there's some type of guilt or shame or fear that is just, just oppressing us in our lives. But it's that freedom that we should be able to and, and have to, and that's what Paul's telling them, this freedom that has made, been made available to you, stand firm. Do not submit to anything else but this. And he begins to show us kind of the idea of what's going on because, listen, freedom and fear can't cohabitate. They can't cohabitate together. And then when we've given ourselves over to this, this is what happens in Galatians 5, 4. He says, you have fallen away from grace. So we know that Paul is talking to believers here. So what we also know is that what he is telling us is not that if we, as falling away from grace brings with it this idea of losing the saving state that we have. It does not mean that we have been removed from God's family. The Bible tells us nothing can remove us from his hand. So we know that especially if he's talking to believers, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that we've, basically have lost our salvation if you have lost this in your touch of freedom. But a better way to say this would be that, <clears throat> that we have fallen out of the sphere of God's grace. 
that you've fallen out of the experiential place of God's grace. You've fallen away from the influence of what God's grace provides for you. And I think this is a space where a lot of Christians live their lives. It's in this space where we don't feel God's grace, right? How many times do you live your life, come to church, try to pray, try to read, try to have a devotion time with your kids, try to talk to your wife about something spiritual or a coworker, and you just have this fear in you, and then after that, and just in the midst of all that, you just, you just, you don't feel God's grace in your life. And not saying that our lives are, are, are navigated or motivated by feeling. We, that's definitely not what I'm saying. But just having a confidence that God's grace It's present in your life. I think as Christians, this is a space where a lot of people live. I mean, think about it in your own life, in your own struggles, in your own this, this past week as you've navigated it. How many times have you just felt and even contemplated or even in maybe, uh, you know, trying to acknowledge God or even maybe you haven't acknowledged God but haven't felt that motivating movement from God's grace within us. We can be so disconnected from that. And I believe that's what Paul's saying here. He is saying that you have fallen away from the sphere, the influence of God's grace. That it's not, a, it's not affecting you right now. Because you're, you've given yourself over to slavery. You've given yourselves being burdened by in submission to something lesser. Maybe it's ourselves. Maybe it's this work-based idea where we're trying to earn God's approval by doing good. That we've moved out of the experience, the guidance, the satisfaction due to relying or living by other things. 2 Peter 3.17, it says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Again, talking to believers. Again, talking about this idea that it is possible for us as Christians to be carried away from this place where we experience and know and are motivated and moved by God's grace. I mean, surely if you're a Christian here this morning, there has been a moment in your life where you have had just a a, a crazy passion for Jesus, right? Maybe you read more. Maybe you sang more confidently. Maybe you prayed more often. Maybe you were just nicer to people because of what God has done to you. Like, I believe, and and I see this, and I saw this a lot even in dealing with youth ministry. Like, you just see this passion at times, and then it fizzles out, and that fire just kind of burns out, and then, you know, they don't, what now? And I think as adults, we can, you can find yourself in that same, same space where you just think, what now? You know, just kind of indifferent to it. We just kind of navigate these spaces. We do the things we think we're supposed to do. We come into this building. We stay for an hour. We go. You know, and we've just we've lost touch of what the true nature of God's grace really is in our life and how that influences us. The confidence that comes with that as we navigate relationships, as we navigate raising our children. As we navigate our, our jobs and, 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 and dealing with people. Because when we trust in Christ, we become spiritually rich. So spiritually rich. But too often we lose touch of that. And a lot of it's because we're not fighting for that freedom. We're not standing firm. We're not holding fast. We're not... not Pushing away submission to lesser things. 
And then Galatians 2, he, he kind of continues to reiterate this idea if you accept circumcision. So he's talking about works for God's approval or, or another system besides the grace of God. He says, if you accept circumcision or this other system, Christ will be no advantage to you. In Galatians 5, 2, Christ will be no advantage to you. To live under the law or according to any other system robs us of the benefits of Christ. Living under fear, living under approval from others, living under uh, even in the scope of what he's speaking of, religious legal, legalism, it robs us of what Christ has done for us. You know, and we see that on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross, pouring out his blood, his life, his soul, his agony, his love for us. And what Paul says here is all of that will profit you nothing if you depend on anything but Jesus. Because on the cross, two men died with Jesus. For one who put his trust in Jesus, Jesus told him it's eternal life. He didn't do a single thing. Lived a life of wickedness, being punished literally for his wickedness. And what did Jesus tell him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. No religious ceremonies, no activities, no, not necessarily even good, any good works up to that point that we know of. But then the other, for the one who trusted in himself, he profited nothing. Profited nothing. And, and Paul says in Galatians 5.6, he says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. You know, and that's a huge deal. You know, because that, that seems strange, that phrasing, but I think it's so relevant even for the spaces that we navigate today. When he says, not circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. He says it's not about being religious or it's not about religiously being unreligious. It's about faith. Because we know people like that too, right? We know people that try to be so unreligious that they've made a religion out of being unreligious, right? I mean, that is, that, is, that is just, when I read that and was thinking and pondering on that, like, man, that is such our culture today, that we are so anti kind of doing anything religious or so anti the, the establishment that we've made a religion out of that, that we've made a religion out of the phrasing, well, I don't have to be at church to be a Christian, or I've made a religion out of the phrasing of, well, I don't have to read my Bible, I don't have to pray, you know, I can just do good to people. We've made a religion out of not being religious, and that's what he's saying. He said it's not about what you do, and it's not about the staunchness at which you don't do things. He says it's about faith in Jesus. It's about trusting in something outside of myself for my saving, because I recognize that I am a wicked sinner in need of saving, and that my own works, my own efforts, whether religiously or unreligiously religious, are not good enough. No, trying to be unreligious is, becomes its own form of legalism and works-based effort. That it, all in all, what both of these things do is they take our focus off dependence on Christ and put it on ourselves. That we would have the audacity or pride to believe that anything we do is good enough to get us to God. But what he says the Christian has, if we're fighting for that freedom, in verse 5 he says we have hope. In verse 5 he says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And listen, 
our, we, you know, in the English language, we have one word for hope, and we use that word for a lot of different things, right? Like, we hope it doesn't rain, and it kind of means that we're not really sure if it's going to rain or not. We're just kind of, this just kind of the weak assurance of whether it's going to rain or not. When the Bible uses the word hope in the context of our salvation or what God is doing for us, it is not a wonder. It is not a weak guess. It is a strong, confident expectation that I have hope in something different. I have hope in something strong. I have hope in something assured that nothing can strip away from me. Not my failures, not anyone else's oppression, but I have a hope in something. And here he's saying that as Christians, we have a hope in righteousness. We have a hope in a standing before God that when God sees us, when we are justified by our faith, when we are made right before a holy God by faith in Jesus, that we have a righteousness, we have a right standing to depend on. And it's not my own, but it's Jesus's. It's the hope we have in Christ. And it is not a weak uncertainty, but a powerful assurance of something. And then the last thing this morning, and I'll be done, is that not only is our freedom meant to be fought for, but our freedom is meant to be lived out. In Galatians 5, 6, he says it is faith working through love. Faith working through through love. Our freedom is for something. Our freedom is for something. It's for free movement, for free action. Gospel freedom from fear and condemnation leads us to obey God, not to please ourselves. Then when we have this freedom, when we have gathered and stand firm in this freedom, it is a freedom that is meant to lead to action. It is a freedom that is meant to lead me into my relationship with my spouse, lead me into my relationship with my kids, lead me into my relationship with my faith family, lead me into my relationship at work, that it is a Christian freedom that is turning into action for the gospel, to make disciples, where Jesus would tell us that our main responsibility is to go, therefore, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples. That that is our main goal, and our Christian freedom should be reinforcing that. And listen, maybe not all of us will go to the nations. Maybe not all of us will even necessarily go to our community. But every single one of us that has a family is meant to be making disciples there. Then maybe it's just with your spouse. Maybe it's if you have kids, it's with your kids. Every single one of us has a nation at home to go to. And that freedom should be leading us to that. Our freedom should be motivating us toward that. Because if our faith doesn't work, it isn't saving faith. If our faith is not evident through work, it is not saving faith. It's not a work to save us, but it's because we are saved that we work. It's because of what God's done for us. If, our, if, it, if it doesn't work, and he says that it's only faith working through love. And so if our faith doesn't work, it isn't saving faith. But also, if it doesn't work through love, is it, it isn't saving faith. But also, love isn't enough if it must, if it doesn't come from faith. So separate from faith, every work of love that we do means nothing. Because it's not a love or a work coming from faith. Listen, and we said this all the time. There are a lot of good people doing a lot of good things that those good things aren't being done through faith in Jesus. Because listen, when we do good things separate from faith in Jesus, those good things just point back to us. They don't point to Jesus. They don't point to the Lord Savior that we serve. But 
Love isn't enough. It's an abiding trust in Jesus that motivates. Christ is the motive, the power, and the influencer. I read this quote this week. It says, Faith makes a man seek to do the will of Christ, but love tells him what the will is. And this love is the very love that the Bible uses to describe who God is. It's agape love. It is a love, an affectionate, kind, gracious, benevolent love, a giving love that is an active love. This love describes the very nature of God. This is the type of love the Bible tells us doesn't boast in itself. It's a, it's a love that says it's humbles. It's, it's a love that sacrifices. It's a love that forgives. All streaming from the well of Jesus, overflowing from our lives. Because what is external and is immaterial and worthless unless it reflects genuine internal righteousness. And that genuine internal righteousness comes from Jesus and it manifests into work in our lives. Romans 6, 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That our old selves are dead and gone. That Christ has made a way for us to be new and to act new. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect, and it doesn't mean that we always meet the standard that we even have for ourselves in our Christian walk, but it means we continue to move. It means we continue to walk. It means we continue to stand firm in the freedom that he's given us, freedom from under the law, but then also freedom from ourselves, that we are not our own, but we are God's. And so the reason this matters for us this morning, church, is that freedom, first of all, is that we understand freedom isn't automatic but it's embraced and it's acted upon and it's intentional. Because too often we spend many of our moments living in bondage, missing the freedom experience God has for his children, the freedom to live out from under shame, guilt, fear, and weakness. So our challenge this morning is this, that we would begin walking in the strength, fleeing sin, leading our families, evangelizing the world around us, and pointing them to this same truth, that we need to turn our minds to who we are and what we have in Christ so that our hearts are stirred and our behaviors are brought into line with these realities. God has freedom available to us. And what is, would be a shame for our lives is for us to live even a single moment and not embracing it, not tapping into it, not living it in that confidence, in that hope, in that joy that only comes through God, through Jesus, empowered through the Holy Spirit. And so there are two things that we need to acknowledge, and then I'll really be done. Two last things that we need to acknowledge for us, if we're being honest, just kind of a moment of self-evaluation. If my faith doesn't feel free and isn't actively living through love for God and my neighbor. Two things to acknowledge. Number one is that I may have fallen away from grace. I may have slipped away from that space of grace. That would you ask yourself that? That if that's where you are today, that if your freedom isn't being lived out in active love for your neighbor and for God, and you don't feel free, maybe you've fallen away from grace. You've moved out from under the experience not the effects of God's grace, but under the experience of God's grace and how that empowers you as a believer. The confidence it gives you to pray and to read God's word. The confidence it gives you to sing and to talk about Jesus in conversation. That maybe you've lost your passion, your desire, your direction. That maybe you've fallen away 
from his grace. You've slipped away from it. Or number two, that we would acknowledge this, that you may not know this type of grace to begin with. That you've never truly believed in God and, and, and truly set that understood and believed that he has set forth to save you through the work of Jesus on the cross, that you've continued living under the law, working, striving to be the best, depending on yourself for godly acceptance. Because the reality is we cannot hold on to grace if we're living by works. We can't hold on to grace if we're holding on to the law. We can't hold on to grace if we're holding on to ourselves for, for approval, if we're holding on to ourselves for satisfaction, if we're holding on to ourselves for accomplishing the goals that we have in our lives. Assurance of salvation is not possible if we think we must earn or even maintain our salvation. And so how do we do this? For number one, I want to encourage you this. To hold on tight to the truth of the gospel of grace. Preach the gospel to yourself. The new covenant of grace, not being bound by the law or distracted by the empty promises of the world around you. The word stand firm, remember that military term? I pray that we would reject lesser things. Reject and flee sin. But then the other part of that in that military term was sticking together. That we would depend on each other. Later on in Galatians, we'll talk about bearing each other's burdens. That we would be that for each other. And then the second thing. For no, the number two, the person who may not have even experienced this type of grace in their own life, never have put their faith truly in Jesus for their saving. That you would know that freedom and joy are in Jesus. That he is the only way to God. The only way to God. And like we sang this morning, he is the truth, the way, and the life. And that if you haven't already, that you would truly trust him for your saving. Trust Him for your freedom. Trust Him for what He has for you. Church, can we bow our heads this morning as we acknowledge and reflect on those things and that we would pray and ask Him to do a work within us. That maybe we, as a believer, we've slipped away from the experience of grace and truly walking in the freedom He has for us. Or number two, maybe you've never known that grace to begin with and never have truly put your faith in Jesus for your salvation. This morning that you would react and respond in the appropriate way. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for who you are and what you've done. God, I thank you for the freedom that we can find only in you. God, that too often we are searching for freedom and satisfaction and joy and lesser things. But God, I pray. I pray this morning that we would see the true value of you. We would see the value of your freedom. We would see that your freedom is worth fighting for, God, and that your freedom is worth living out to draw other people to that freedom. Father God, we know we're broken. God, we know that there are more mistakes we make than not. But Father, I pray that even in the midst of that, we would know that freedom is still available, that freedom is still there. And that even if we allow ourselves to slip away from the experience of grace, God, that you continue to extend that hand towards us. Father God, I pray for Christians this morning that we would stand firm in our passion and our conviction and our excitement for you and what you've done for us and allow that to overflow out of us, God. And for those who maybe haven't put their faith truly in you, believed on you, Maybe they have doubts. Maybe they have questions. Father God, I pray they begin to, to seek you in the midst of that. God, I pray they begin to, God, ask questions, God. I pray they begin to seek you because, God, you tell us if we seek you, 
then we will find you. God, I pray that they would seek you. Father, we just love you. Lord, we thank you for this time, God, and we just ask you to bless our church and to be with us as we navigate the rest of our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.